0: Turn in our Bibles then, or, or on the screen, uh, to First Thessalonians and chapter 4. First Thessalonians and chapter 4. Then coming uh, to speak to you today about sexual purity, I am rebuked a little, and maybe you'll feel rebuked a little as well for our prudishness. Well, I have left this passage to the fifth of six sermons on the issues in chapters 4 and 5 the Apostle deals with in Thessalonians 4 and 5. He addresses it first. There's not a, much, a lot of prudishness with the Apostle. Further, the dominance of this subject in the media means that it is a subject which preachers must address. Nearly every day, certainly every week, there is a big moral scandal which dominates the press, isn't there? In recent weeks, every news bulletin opened with updates about Russell Brand, accusations in the most part he did not deny. That was last week. This week, The headlines are dominated by a news story on sexual purity. Ava Evans, the political news reporter, is in the headlines for comments made by Lawrence Fox in a GB News interview. And so because of the Apostles' example and because of the prominence of this subject in our society, we cannot avoid it and we should not avoid it Our children cannot avoid it. And as parents, as pastors, as elders, as grandparents, we need to face it. And we need to know what the scripture says on this subject. Reading literature by Biblical Counseling at UK, a dominant note in their advice is that parents of teenagers... Should speak with their children about sexual purity. And one opportunity they suggest is to grasp these regular news headlines as opportunities to discuss with them the pure ways of Christ. Thirdly, the proposed change to RSE, secondary school education, in January 2024, which we all know about and we all have the opportunity to have input in and responding to the, the consultation that's ongoing at this time. It is about this subject. The Evangelical Alliance is holding meetings across our province on this subject and the Christian Institute is providing information on this very issue but it's important for us in our congregation to set out the biblical position before our young people parents, members, church elders as a faithful and loving pastor the apostle addresses the subject here and in many other places as he writes to various congregations he doesn't avoid this issue But he meets it head on. The subject is prominent in our media then, in our society. But it is also prominent in our Bibles. Take a moment to consider that point. Whole chapters in our Bible are devoted to this very subject. Genesis chapters 18 and 19 describe God's judgment on the impure at Sodom and Gomorrah. Leviticus 19 and 21 set out for us in detailed terms God's expectation of moral purity among his people. We read one of the two chapters in 2 Samuel on this very subject. The book of of Solomon is is devoted to exalting purity among us. Proverbs in many places, and especially in chapters 5 and 7, warns us against impurity in our hearts and minds. The prophet Hosea in chapters 1 to 3 is all about marital unfaithfulness. And in the New Testament, there are many references to this subject from the first chapter about the virgin birth of Jesus to the very last chapter in Revelation 22 verse 15, which says, outside, that is outside of heaven, are the sexually immoral. 1 Thessalonians 4 before us today is a key passage in the Bible on this issue. We come then in this study to the fifth issue addressed in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. We've thought of the letter as an insight into our local church. We've thought of the letter addressing the people in the church in chapter 1, the pastors of the church in chapter 2 and 3, And now the problems of the church in chapters 4 and 5. Timothy, the assistant of the Apostle Paul, has visited the city of Thessalonica and the congregation there. He's just returned to Corinth with a report about the congregation and the issues which were live within that congregation. And in chapter 4 and 5, the Apostle, as we've been seeing, deals with those issues. Here he considers sexual purity. With three points, then, that we want to consider today, our society is comparable to Thessalonica, our duty is clear, and our motivations are considerable. Let's think, first of all, of our world is comparable. One New Testament scholar has observed that the 21st century is becoming more like the world of the New Testament in the 1st century. And this appears to be a correct assessment on many levels. As this degeneration of our society continues, the New Testament letters are more and more directly addressing issues in our time. Certainly certainly this is true of the issue of sexual purity. It's currently a hot topic. Headline news, a front page matter high on many agendas. And so it was ...in the New Testament world. The basic command of scripture is in verse 3... ...abstain from sexual immorality. The concern of our time, of our government... ...is safe sex outside of marriage. That is one of the main changes to the RSE... ...proposed for January 2024. The new element of RSE is to teach young people... ...in secondary school how to avoid pregnancy... And teach them about access to abortion. And this paragraph speaks directly to that current issue. The teaching of scripture advocates sexual purity. The general attitude of our society is the very same as it was in Thessalonica. The attitude is sex can be had with anyone but adultery is tamely frowned on. Some have tutted mildly about Boris Johnson, Prince Charles, David Beckham, Aunt McPartland, and salvage hunter-presenter Drew Pritchard. However, these men who have committed adultery still hold public roles. So it was in Thessalonica, while in 18 AD the emperor, the emperor of Rome... ...declared adultery to be illegal. Most of the Roman provinces turned a blind eye to the edict. The widespread view of marriage in the first century world... ...was that wives were for bearing children... ...but other women were for pleasure. The dominant religious cults of the first century intertwined... ...immoral practices... With their religious rituals. This was one reason why Israel in the Old Testament. Turned away from God. To the pleasures which were being offered. In other religions. Beside these religions in Thessalonica. And other major cities. Greek thinkers like Plutarch. And Cicero who was exiled in Thessalonica. For a time argued. That young people should be allowed to enjoy sexual pleasures with multiple partners before settling down to a wife, a career, and a family. So what does Paul do with these new converts brought up in the presence of such impurity and immorality in Thessalonica? He teaches them sexual purity. He makes no allowance for their background, or the strong temptations of their city, or the agonies they might have of breaking an impure habit, he states plainly in verse 3, this is the will of God. Verse 8, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. And in addressing this subject then, Paul is an example for us as pastors, as elders, as parents here today. He does not avoid this subject. He writes to these believers about it in chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. He also claims in verse 2 that he had spoken with them about this when he was with them. The instructions we gave you. And again in verse 6 he claims, as we told you beforehand, Perhaps it's hard for us to imagine the great apostle, the author of Romans, sitting down with this group of people in Thessalonica and speaking to them about moral purity. But he did it. It was a hot topic in their lives and in their city. And he addressed it. We're to address it as ministers and elders and parents as we bring our children up. To love Christ and to follow his way. The apostle asserts that this is one way in which we will stand out for Christ in verse 3 This is your sanctification. This is a way that you will show that God has elected you, chosen you, changed you, called you into his kingdom. Here's a concrete way that you will show that you belong to the Lord Jesus. Your sanctification by being pure in your life. Our world is comparable. Secondly... Our duty is clear. And here in verses 3 and 5, Paul sets this out, the clear biblical position on this issue. And there's a negative side and a positive side. And I I, I really encourage all of us parents, congregation, to promote the positive side. But he deals with the negative side as well here in verses 3 to 5. Biblical position on sexual relations is that it's to be enjoyed and engaged in only within marriage. The Greek word used here in verse 3, pornei, translated here, sexual immorality, is the word from which we get our English word, porn. It's explained by Jeannie Green as any kind of sexual relation outside of heterosexual marriage. This is the biblical position. Abstain from sexual immorality. That is from sex outside of marriage. It's a clear biblical apostolic command. And in communicating this position, Paul is faithfully handing on the position of the first synod of the early church, which they arrived at in Acts 15, 28 and 29. It seemed good To the Holy Spirit that you abstain from sexual immorality. But the positive side is given in verse 4. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour. The body does matter within the, the biblical theology and context. Not just the soul in our Christian thinking and teaching. And we are to have control of our body, this verse says, especially those sexual drives in our body and we're to express them in legitimate ways that you control your body in holiness and in honor. The Gentiles, the unbelievers, verse 4, satisfy those drives in, in wrong ways but Christians are to express those drives within marriage. The verse here can have a a range of meanings, control his own body. Some people think it is the the individual's own body. Some people think it's in relation to the the wife. Either is fine. The main point here is, is to be in holiness and honor. Sex is not denied us. But the drives are to be controlled by us and expressed and enjoyed within marriage in holiness and honour. We agree with the condemnation of GB News, who allowed the comments about Ava Evans to be aired, comments which are opposed by this paragraph. No one here is suggesting this command is easy. No one is suggesting that this is challenging only for young people, or for males, or for non-Christians. All of us have faced this. And perhaps if we were all more honest and open, we we don't have a discussion this Wednesday evening on this point, but anyway... If, if, if all of us were more honest and open we could speak to one another about our struggles and sin in this area. I wonder how open Paul was on the subject as he sat in Thessalonica and spoke to the new converts there surrounded with myriads of opportunities and temptations just as we are. But he mentions the subject often. And we to mention it take opportunities to educate our children about it and speak to them about the positive that is mentioned here, that the end goal for their lives, for the lives of our young people, what this congregation is praying for, what parents are desiring is, a godly marriage. And within that godly marriage, they will experience... The joy and opportunity and expression that's mentioned here. So our world is comparable with the New Testament world. Our duty is clear. And thirdly, our motivations are compelling, are considerable. There are many secular reasons to support this commandment, aren't there? There are physical reasons like avoiding illness, emotional reasons like not leaving a piece of yourself with each sexual partner, psychological reasons like a feeling of guilt for a Christian and to a lesser extent a non-Christian. But here are five biblical reasons the apostle intertwines in this paragraph as he sets it out for us and that we as adults should consider again And as parents, when the time's appropriate, can go over with our children. The first is that we know God, verse 5. Know God. Why do some unbelievers, Gentiles, Christians, perhaps backslidden, live promiscuously? Because they do not know God. That's his point in verse 5. In the Bible, rejection of God is, is often linked with immorality especially there in Romans chapter 1 the people who turn their backs on God plunge into all kinds of immorality there is this direct connection between the two it's it's evidenced in the life of Solomon who, who turns away to idols and goes into all kinds of immoral living we know God's holiness his wisdom, his love, his authority his will, his wrath because we know God, that he shows us the best way, that he loves us without limit, that he is holy, that he is just, that he is merciful because we know God and we listen to God and we want to please God. This this is one strand to, to drive us down the road of purity. We know God. Ava Evans, a 29 year old political reporter, wants respect for women. That's exactly what God's command about sexual purity is it's respect for one another. We know God, His wisdom, His love. Secondly, brotherly love. Verse 6 has a, a difficult phrase that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. The command here could refer to adultery as in the case of King David wronging Uriah, which we read together in 1 Samuel 11 by taking his wife Bathsheba, or to the now King Charles wronging Diana. In his case, the offender wronged the husband or the wife in the act of adultery. But more probably, perhaps, it refers to sleeping with an unmarried Christian woman and taking her purity as Eli's sons did, the unmarried woman slept with then marries a Christian man in the church, but that brother has been wronged in the sense that the purity of his bride has been taken, that no one transgress, verse 6, and wrong his brother in this matter. And so, love for our brothers and sisters in the congregation, the apostle is arguing here, should make us live in a pure way. Thirdly, God's judgment, verse 6b. The Lord is the avenger in all these things. Society condones sex outside of marriage, but condemns the misogynist language of Lawrence Fox, which treats women as objects. But God condemns more. He chastises his people and the world because of sexual impurity. Sometimes the punishment, it's not an illness or a bankruptcy, but it's the very effects of the sin that they've engaged in. Sex outside of marriage damages us, pollutes our love, our relationships, our marriage. We can't commit this sin and be the same afterwards. Online porn, which is virtual, sexual impurity and adultery, also has a debilitating effect on a person. The Lord is the avenger in all these things. Fourthly, God's calling, verse 7. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. The four identifies the purpose, the atmosphere. God is holy. And he calls us to be holy as a congregation, as church leaders, as Christian people. He's called us out of the darkness of impurity into the light of purity. He's called us to this new life, to this new way. And part of being a Christian is being pure. And fifthly, God's grace, verse 8, God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. What an unusual phrase to end this paragraph. And the tense of this phrase is fascinating. It's in the present tense. The phrase literally means God is giving the Holy Spirit into your life, not just at our conversion, but continually giving at this moment every single day. He's pouring his Spirit in us. And the point is, how can we sin against this present giver of the spirit. He gives and is giving the Holy Spirit to us. Let's not throw impurity in his face. He's giving, pouring, depositing, injecting, transmitting, infusing the holy into us. Let's not then be unholy. He's giving us all the resources we need to be pure. Let's not ignore those resources our duty then our world our motivations we all know it we all fail in this area every every one of us we have elders have i have all of you have there's no finger pointing going on here at the young people of the church none of us are scot free Some of us have failed in thought. We've had fantasies of beautiful women or men. Some of us have failed in sight through videos, magazines, online porn. Some of us remember actions perhaps of sexual impurity. Let us watch then what goes into our minds. The novels we read, the films we view, the thoughts we have. C.S. Lewis writes, Satan gets us to fall not by what he puts in our mind. but by what he keeps in our mind. Forgiveness. Writing to the Corinthians in chapter 6 of his first letter, we learn that they've done worse than anything that you and I have ever done. We read the list of immoral sins that that has gone on there. But the death of Jesus and the grace of God were greater than their sins. After that long and dark list which the the writer uh, lists and says that that you've been involved in this, he he writes, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. For each of us today, as the children taught us as we repent of our sin, even of these sins, there is renewal and cleansing and forgiveness for us. I learned last week about John Calvin something that I I never knew, that his daughter committed adultery. John Calvin found it hard to go out into the street of Geneva just after the the news of this broke. He lived with that and wrestled with that, but came again to the all-sufficiency of the grace of Christ and the efficacy of the atonement, that for his daughter, that for his family, brought up in a Christian home, taught by the finest and the best, There was grace and forgiveness for her and there's grace and forgiveness at the foot of the cross for every one of us, for every one of our children as we repent and come to him. And lastly, the power the apostle points to here is the Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean that we let go and let God as the the, the expression has been it doesn't mean that we, we allow all kinds of emotions and feelings and attractions and, and images to, to come in front of us and, and say, well, God will keep me, his, his spirit is within me. But, but rather, it means that we will work alongside God. That's, that's the, the partnership in, in sanctification. It's not an equal partnership, but it is a partnership. God works and we work on this very point. Many of you will never have the courage to take the booklet on pornography off uh, the, the rack out there. Uh, certainly not when anyone else is around. Uh, but, but, but I read it and I, I'm reading them all. And, and in the booklet on pornography, you, you, you'll come across Bob uh, who wrestled with this, this very issue. And, and there's a wonderful story that, that by the, the power of Christ, the, the spirit of God, he overcame his addiction to online porn. And he was at a conference, his colleagues were there, and and unexpectedly, a, a vision encounters him. And he turns away his eyes and doesn't stare. And in that moment of turning away, he thanks Christ for his power. We also are to turn away in the strength of the indwelling Spirit of God as we battle for and pursue sexual purity.